Today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com. Podcast like a boss. I was looking on your website on Hoaxville. Uh, yep. And I was, I was quite taken by, um, by your blog, Hoaxville, and by the search as well. Uh, and yep. how you're kind of doing, it, it seems to me like you're kind of always exercising your creativity and your creative muscles. Yeah, the um, the search sort of came about through, I don't, I don't know, like be, being a filmmaker, you're, you rely on being surrounded by other people so you can do what you want to do. Like it's not a, unfortunately, it's not a solo pursuit. And and I guess over the years I've developed a, a deep love, or should I should I say an obsession with photography. And I started like a, a photograph a day project uh, the, at the beginning of last year uh, when I was traveling, and it was just like I, I photographed all the time, but I, I found I was just photographing things when I was around beautiful places or people or you know things that were interesting at the time, and I found. I don't know, I guess I was challenging myself to try and find the beauty of the everyday or, 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 and, and have to create an image that I felt like I could put up on my website and publish uh, daily. And, yeah, I just found it a really rewarding experience. I, I think I, I, somewhere I'd heard that, that idea of um, don't let perfection get in the way of good. And, you know, like I'm one of those people that, you know, quite often not publish something because it's not what I didn't think was good enough. But if you do something every day, like I'm doing on the on, on my site, you know, sometimes definitely you're putting stuff up that you're like, oh, it's not really what I want to do and not really what I want to put up, but you have to do it. So the rules I've set myself are that, that, you know, the photo has to be taken on that day and it has to be published that day. So it's not like you can pull things in from other shoots or and then this this year, I decided to sort of narrow it even more and and make it black and white in one lens. So, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. Like now, it just feels like it's part of my day. Like it's just a like a regular thing. Yeah. How how important is it for you to kind of have that outlet, but also to, I suppose, have something that requires that level of discipline in your life? I, yeah, I guess it feels like a real practice. You know, there's there's a lot of times where I've just gone, oh, I don't know, I probably just won't put it up today. Like, haven't haven't, <laughs> haven't taken a good photo and I don't really feel like, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night, I really don't feel like going out and shooting something. But, of course, you know, end up putting my shoes on and rugging up and, you know, find myself wandering the streets at, you know, midnight trying to find something to um, take a photo of. But and 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 there is you know that each day, it, I guess you feel like you're accomplishing something, like you feel like you're achieving uh, a little goal that you've set yourself. And um, I know there's lots of daily things out there uh, that people do, like you know people vlogging every day and that sort of thing. And this is probably on a smaller scale, but uh, it's uh, yeah, I don't know. I've, I guess I found what I've been drawn to uh, as a photographer and as a as an image maker. Quite often, I think. Photographers in general, uh, it's it's what they don't take photos of, as opposed to what they do take photos of, and 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 this is uh, a daily practice of seeing what I don't take a photo of and what I what I'm drawn to as a single image. It's it's quite an interesting framing, I suppose. The uh, I guess observing your 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 own creative process uh, to I guess refine it and rework it. You mentioned uh, you know the the idea of uh i guess imperfect progress or or um not getting perfect no, don't let perfection get in the way of good yeah yeah, yeah. don't let perfection get yeah. in the way of good and i think that that's a kind of an achilles heel for a lot of artistic and creative people this idea that something has to be perfect before you do put it out into the world or before you do let it live its own life is this something that you feel like you've kind of arrived at at this point of your career or is it something that you've kind of always carried with you i guess it's something that you know it it it's it's freed me up a little bit like there's definitely 
you know, like the like the search or the uh, you know that 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 daily photograph project is a small part of what I do, but it is it has allowed me, I guess, just to free myself up and just go, look, I don't really like this image, but it's the best of a bad bunch, or you know, it's almost a good photo, or if if I'd pushed the shutter three seconds before, it would have been a great photo, but I missed it. Uh, but I, so I have to put second best up. It is it is a bit freeing, and it's got a bit easier as well. I, I, I feel. I, f- I feel better about putting up, you know, putting stuff up that I, I think is good, but I guess I, I guess it's I'm trying to see it as like maybe it's part of a bigger a bigger thing. So you know, it's not about each individual information. Uh, uh, sorry, each individual shot. Uh, it feels like it's the shots are creating the work in itself. So yes, it's not about individual photos, even though some of them I'm really happy with. It's it's yeah it's more about I don't know by the end of it you'll have like a thousand images and if you trim them down and edit them a little bit then maybe there'll be a story there but I don't I don't know what that story is yet. Glendon Ivan started his career wanting to be a documentary filmmaker and has become one of the most prolific working television and commercial directors in Australia. After winning the Palm Door in 2003 for his short film Cracker Bag, Glendon went on to direct commercials, the feature film Last Ride, and now directs television shows like Offspring, Puberty Blues, Gallipoli, and coming soon to ABC, Seven Types of Ambiguity. You can check out the aforementioned Photo A Day project, his blog, and his work at www.hoaxville.com. And while you've got hoaxville.com open... Head to comingupnext.com.au where you can download this episode as well as the entire back catalogue of podcast rambles. There's also links to iTunes, Stitcher and Podbean where you can subscribe, rate and review the podcast. It's a free show, you know, and every subscription and every rating contributes to getting the amazing guests that I have the good fortune to bring you each and every week. So, you know what to do. And... While you do that, I'll leave you with this week's inspiring discussion with Aussie filmmaker Glendon Ivan. Going back to, I guess, the beginning of your filmmaking career, I mean, the kind of the earliest I could track back was to around the sort of the cracker bag times. Uh, and I actually, I remember I, um, I did a foundations course at the VCA, uh, I think it was in 2004, uh, and right, we, and we were shown that film um, as a kind of example, and this, you know, it was around the time that you'd won the the Palm Door, which was, you know, qu- such an incredible kind of uh, achievement. What was the, I suppose, the, the journey to that point for you of of uh, of making that f- of going to film school and then of making that film? I studied documentary at film school, and it was my that was my first and only love when it came to filmmaking. I really thought making drama or doing a, you know, writing a script was the dirty end of filmmaking. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't understand how on earth you could ever make someone do something. I was very much a, an observational purist and, and I was there really just to capture what happened. And it, and it took me a while. Um, I don't know, maybe like a couple of years after finishing documentary film school and, and, and realizing that you know like that that it was pretty hard being a filmmaker and definitely being a documentarian like there wasn't wasn't going to be an easy path and i was traveling back from the you know one of the australian documentary conference from adelaide with some friends and who were just telling stories about what happened as us as kids and i told them that story that happens in cracker bag about being a kid who was crazy for fireworks and gathering them up in a bag and you know just hoping and pinning all my hopes on this one thing, this one cracker night, and, um, and of course, all the crackers going off um, before I got a chance to en- enjoy them. And someone said, you know, that would make a great short film. And I was like, yeah, I think, I don't know, I've never had an idea for a short film, but maybe that's a short film. I don't know, <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's what they are. But I, I, when I wrote it, and I wrote it very quickly, I wrote it like a documentary, like it was just more scenes and this is you know I kind of based it incredibly closely on my life um 
uh, to the point where I thought, even when I was making it, even when I was cutting that film, I thought the only two people that would really get it would be my mom and my brother because they were there at the time. Um, there was such, you know, a, a crazy amount of attention to detail to try and recreate what was, I don't know, like a, the film was very kindly described in a review as, uh, you know, it was a documentary after the fact. And, and that was sort of the greatest compliment because I felt like I'd done my job. Like I'd made a, I'd made a documentary, but, it, but I'd, sort of crea- I'd sort of fabricated it. But, but yeah, so to, to make it and to get it made, back then, I, you know, there was short film funding rounds and we, I tried twice to, to get uh, government money to do it. And from both, you know, state and, and um, federal level and, and they just said no. And eventually my producer and I just, I was doing commercials at the time, uh, we just said, look, let's just make it. Let's let's just put some money in, and we'll put a date on when we'll begin. And you know, it was a real. It was really about making that decision that this is something I want to make, regardless of whether someone, you know, from a film body says I can make it or not. That was, you know, it was really powerful in the sense that it it it, it we made the film regardless. We didn't need permission or 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 money in the end from somewhere else. We were able to scrimp and save and pull favors and um you know just just make it and it was really i don't know it was quite empowering i guess at the time not knowing you know we well, i just wanted to make the film I, you know and it was never dreaming that it would ever go to can or win a palm door or anything like that or you know and, and travel around the world like it was just let's just make this 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 silly thing that happened to me as a kid like let's make that into a film and that was the greatest achievement, I think, actually getting the film made or making the decision to do it, regardless of funding bodies. Is that something that you advocate to people to just go out and just put their ideas, uh, you know, into motion? Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. Um, there's, there's a lot of, like, as I was saying before, like filmmaking is an incredibly hard thing to do by yourself. And you do need people around you. And, and unfortunately, you know, ultimately that costs money if you're doing it, you know, like if you're going to pay people, there's a lot of people you've got to pay. But, you know, when we made Cracker Bag, that was shot on 35 mil. You know, it was a pretty small production, but we had, uh, you know, crew there. And, you know, these days it would have been a lot easier. It, but it was just about getting the right people to come in and, and help us out. Um, and, I, and I would still do the same today, but I think it would be actually easier to, to make a film like Cracker Bag now than what it was, uh, whatever it was, um, 13 years, 14 years ago. But yeah, I do hear a lot of people saying, oh, you know, I want to make this film, I'm going to go for funding. And I don't know, I, I think you'll spend, quite often you'll spend six or seven months writing applications and waiting for someone to say no when really you could have made the film. You mentioned that, you know, Cracker Bag is uh, based on your childhood or an incident in your childhood and um, also about that you were really interested in uh, in documentary filmmaking and that was kind yeah. of your primary focus. Do you remember as a kid having that uh, first experience of uh, storytelling or, or, or when you first noticed documentary filmmaking or what was that kind of um, point for you? I came into filmmaking when it was still pretty tricky. It was VHS decks and uh, VHS cameras. And, you know, it was, if you wanted to make a film, you had to, you still had to borrow gear. It wasn't just like on your phone and on a laptop or, you know, 5d in a laptop. It was, it was quite a complex uh, thing, but I, I remember, you know, I saved up and I bought uh, a video eight camera and it was, it was like the most expensive thing I'd ever bought. And I was in my first year of university, I think. Like it was like a big deal. And I, I remember shooting some footage and setting up a couple of VHS decks and dubbing it down. I remember editing something for the first time and almost being in tears about how, how I don't know, like I really felt like there was, you know, that thing about alchemy, like turning something into gold. That's what editing was like for me. I could get one image and I could just cut it to the next one and the two images would all of a sudden mean more than they did by themselves. And I I just, you know, I remember sitting in my lounge room like as a 20-year-old just being my, having my mind blown by that and almost being in tears like it felt like i'd cracked the code of something about this is how you, this is this is what i'm going to do 
and I'm still I'm still excited by that. I still love the idea of getting two images and putting them side by side on a on a timeline and watching that watching the uh, the you know the um, the cursor roll across it and 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 seeing how meaning changes um, from from one image to the other and how two images placed together mean more than a single image placed together. Like I just it seems like a simple thing, but it's still, it, I guess that's what I'm in love with. And then when you put music underneath it uh, and, you know, the images, you know, <laughs> hopefully are a lot better now um, that we shoot than what they were just when I was shooting VHS and in my lounge room, <laughs> um, you know, like that's the craft. Uh, but I'm still, I'm still, you know, almost romantically in love with the idea of, of putting images on a timeline and running, running them together. Like it's still magic to me. It's uh, it's a really powerful way of kind of describing the <laughs> editing process. That's it's yeah. great. I really, I, um, I really love that, and I can relate to it as well. It's like you've got this jigsaw puzzle, but there's no kind of um, there's no guideline of how it's supposed to fit together. Uh, and yeah. you know, you have more than just the kind of cardboard pieces. You know, when you're introducing music and and um, and your uh, your sound design into it as well, it's just quite a yeah, it's amazing how you can kind of place it all together to create something that is more than the, um, the sum of its parts. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, like we were saying, like the first time, like p- particularly with documentary, even though I'd been watching films for years and I was quite interested in making films, um, I, saw the, uh, I saw the film Paradise Lost. I don't know if you know the, the yeah, documentary yeah. Paradise Lost. Uh, about the West Memphis Three, and I saw it at the Melbourne International Film Festival in about 1997 or something like that. Uh, and I, I just being on the edge of my seat from the very first note. There's the you know the soundtrack by Metallica, the Master of Puppets soundtrack mm. or, or Orion or whatever it is, and um, and I just went, oh man, what's this? And and I remember I, I was on the edge of my seat the entire screening. And constantly being reminded that really all I was watching was was the two brothers that made that film, but it was like a camera guy and a sound guy. And all of the drama and all of the complexity and everything that was keeping me on the edge of my seat like no other film had been was just actually real life just unfolding in front of them and the construction of that that they you know made in the edit. Uh, and I, you know, I still get goosebumps thinking about that screening. And it was pretty much after that screening, I, I um, applied for film school. Like the next day, I walked in and said, "How do, I, how do I, how do I make documentary films?" Like I was kind of really naive, but um, that was the, you know, it was it was like uh, a compass pointing in the direction of this is what you should be doing with your life. I was working as a graphic designer up until that point. I remember. I applied for film school and when, even when there was a, like an inkling that I was going to get in, I, I wrote my letter of resignation. I was out of there. That's, that's very, uh, it's a very powerful kind of moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was pretty cool. What was it like going to Cannes and, and winning the Palm d'Or? Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty amazing feat, uh, particularly for, you know, for your first narrative short. Yeah, I mean, I as I said, we're pr- I was pretty naive. I had no idea what to expect. Um, when we entered the festival, it was really, I don't know. I thought I thought the cool thing would be that I'd get a rejection letter from the Cannes Film Festival. I thought that'd be the, <laughs> I thought I'd frame that. I thought this would be, that'd be that's pretty cool. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I guess I guess the whole experience for me was always countered by the fact that two weeks before. Um, my wife and I had our first son, had our, had our first child. So, you know, we, we were kind of, I was a naive filmmaker and I was a naive uh, young father and we, we took Ollie over. He was only, he was only two weeks old and we, you know, backpacked over to, to Cannes and carried this newborn baby around. I just can't believe that we did that. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of, uh, you know, it was kind of the glitz and glamour and sort of the chaos of the Cannes Festival, Cannes Film Festival by day and, was uh, changing nappies in the hotel room at night. It was um, it was a real, I don't know. It 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 kept my feet on the ground, if, if that makes sense. Juxtaposing realities. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It was a great experience, though. So, what was it then that you kind of uh, set aside the documentarian in you to pursue narrative uh, as a as a filmmaker? Well, I guess Cracker Bag was. 
encouragement um, that it was okay to do drama. As I said, like I had a real aversion to it. But I guess at film school, uh, one of the things that really interested me, uh, we had this amazing lecturer called Peter Tammer, and he was a bit of a guru to me. Like I really respected what he said and, and, you know, he introduced me to a lot of really strong ideas about filmmaking. And, and I guess one thing that he said that still, still um, echoes in my head, he just said, you know, uh, well, let's talk about documentary, but let's, let's really think about like, when does a documentary stop being a documentary and when does it become, uh, you know, drama or non or, or fiction? And, I realized that a lot of the films that I was watching uh, after film school, like Gummo uh, and Kids and and these sorts of films that were definitely, you know, they had their roots in documentary. They, they felt very real and intimate and immediate. And yet they were obviously constructed. They, 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 you know, they were like scripted dramas to a certain extent. So I guess that was my approach. I just thought, well, from this point on, it's okay to make drama, but I guess what I'll always try and view it within the, within the guise of documentary. So when I, and and I still do this to a certain extent, it's like when I, when I, you know, when I direct a scene or when I'm creating a scene and everywhere from where I put a camera to, to, you know, how I talk to actors, I guess I'm trying to find a way that is if this was a documentary how would I cover it? Where would the camera be? Where would everyone else be? How do I, you know, strip back the, I guess, the the smoke and mirrors of, of what filmmaking is and try and keep it raw? And that's, I guess that's what I've done over the last, you know, after everything I've done is just try and create a sense of realism, but but I guess heighten, heighten the reality and, you know, introduce other things like beauty and, I don't know, like a... I don't know. I guess I'm still trying to work out what I do, but it's, but yeah, it's always, it's always firmly, firmly, uh, firmly rooted in, in a, in, in a documentary world. Yeah. I hope that's making sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. You, you kind of, uh, you know, you, you're basing things in, in a reality, uh, that's, that's accessible. I suppose it's not, um, it's not fantastical. No. And, and, and I, I guess I'm becoming, more interested in like in blurring those lines even more and and maybe that's you know like it goes back to the the photograph a day project like you're still like the 99 percent of what i'm shooting every day is still it's still reality um and it is well it definitely is it's just what what's in front of me in my day but it's trying to heighten it in a way where it actually feels quite beautiful and i don't know like it's sort of transgresses into something else sometimes like into uh, a more heightened beautiful world if that makes sense so I guess it's yeah it's it's I love I love the realism uh, that documentary has but I love the how you can heighten things with drama if if that makes sense after cracker bag you uh, you know a few years later made um, a feature called um, last ride but yep. kind of in between that, you started working or collaborating with uh, Exit Films, and um, yep. you know a, a lot of what um, what you worked on was uh, was commercials. What was the process like for that? Kind of stepping into that world of uh, and that mode of storytelling and filmmaking. Um, could you even sort of break down what the process of making uh, TVCs was? Yeah, I mean, I felt pretty weird about it, to be honest, and I still do. Like, I still, I still make commercials. I'm just coming out of a fairly intense six, seven month period of doing back to back commercials. I don't know. Like, I, I wish there was a, I wish there was a different way of making a living as a filmmaker for me. Like, I, I it's just the way I've always been able to find the balance of earning a living, but also being able to do what I love doing, which is, you know, like putting images together as I said I was a graphic designer beforehand and I always, I always struggled with that as well I struggled with the commercial reality of being like the commercial art form if you know what I mean like I think graphic design used to be called commercial art and I struggled with it definitely coming out of uni like I just went oh man doing a commercial that's 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 even worse than drama <laughs> like it's just why would you ever think of doing that but I, I, I don't know. I just I got drawn to it. Um, I mean, it's a much longer story about how I how I actually got into it. But 
but in the end, I, I think I just justified it by thinking, well, as an, I always wanted to be an artist, like a painter or an illustrator, but I ended up doing graphic design, like it was a vocational approach to, to art. So, so commercial t- uh, television product, like or, or commercials on television, were like was like the commercial part of filmmaking, and you know it's been really rewarding. Like it actually was how I learnt to make films, I guess. Like I'm like at film school, I you know I was exposed to the world of documentary, but I'd never worked with a crew, I'd never shot on film, I'd never done any of these things. So it wasn't really until I started making commercials that I I, I really started learning how to how to use a crew and you know, what craft was, I had to craft a film, uh, how to craft images and make them better than, you know, like someone else could. So I guess it helps refine your point of view. And I think that's the most valuable thing, um, probably not just as a filmmaker, but any, any kind of creative person, any kind of artist. It's not so much about what, you know, what you do. Like there's a lot of filmmakers out there and there's a lot of musicians out there, but what makes you different to the one next to you is how you see the world. Uh, and it's, yeah, I think, you know, maybe that's what making a lot of commercials and having to physically pitch on doing that work, like, sorry, actually pitch on doing that work. It helps you really work out what it is about you that, that makes you different to another filmmaker. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it can be really rewarding. Like it can be really, um, crazy at times and kind of, you know, grind you down, but, um, once you start working on, you know, some big campaigns, it's um, it's a lot of fun, and you, you get to try out a lot of stuff, and you get to work with people that you'd only ever dream of working any other way. Because generally, all the great cinematographers, all the great editors, all the great production designers, and wardrobe, and all those people are all they all do commercials. And when you've got a budget, it's a lot easier to call some up and say, "I'd love to work with you," and and um, you know, you get to. You get to experiment a lot with with a whole lot of different people. Do you do you find that you've kind of that all of that has has uh, moved over into your uh, process and your style as a as a filmmaker and as a uh, a television director? Um. Yeah, I think it does because you like when you do commercials you you find yourself in a lot of different situations shooting a lot of different scenes meeting a lot of people or even just the process like i was i always think filmmaking is it's it's like making a hundred million mistakes (laughs) (laughs) and and you just like your job as a filmmaker is to start working your way through the through the mistakes so so the more you shoot and the more the more experience you get I, i find it's just about it's crossing off all the mistakes. Like I'll never do that again. Oh, I wish I didn't do that. Right. I'll, and as long as you don't remake the mistakes again, I think that's what, that's what keeps you moving forward in a career. So if, uh, I don't know if that's a really pessimistic way of thinking about things, but, but I do, I, I guess, I guess what I find is like, even when you've, when you've made a lot of stuff, you still get, you know, you still get into the edit suite or you still turn up on set and you go, Oh, why didn't I think of that? Or, what an idiot. What did I do that for? You know, like you just, you constantly remind, you constantly find new things to get stumped on. But I guess, yeah, like doing a lot of commercials helps you, you just get a lot of experience about, you know, simple things. Where do you put the camera? What lenses do you use? How do you talk to actors? How do you solve problems in the edit suite? How do you, you know, how can you use a grade to fix a problem elsewhere? You know, you sit in a lot of sound mixes. So, it's it's you just get to you just get to exercise a lot and you get to make a whole lot of things with uh you know and i'm not saying like with other people's money uh in a in a in any kind of weird way it's just that's the reality of it and i really do i really do see commercials as as an alternate film school for a lot of people like i know a lot of filmmakers that have worked their way up through films uh through doing commercials to be amazing filmmakers how would one get into commercial directing uh at this point in time do you think i think it's changing a little bit i like i i would have said like you know five or ten years ago like if you've made a short you've got to cut like a 30 second version of the short because people you know agencies in general they're not interested if you can make a feature film or a great short they're interested if you can tell a story in 30 seconds 
or, or you, you know, you've got a great visual idea or, you know, like a great visual technique. So you've got to really show that off. But I, I think like even now I've found that ducking in and out of the commercial world from doing long form drama, I think it's, I think people like agencies in particular, they're interested now in storytellers. They want people who can, who can tell a story. And I think that's what I'm, I'm being, uh, you know, if I'm asked to do commercials now, it's because I can tell a story in a certain way. And, and, you know, you've got experience talking to clients and in, in a, in a, at that sort of corporate level. I think, yeah, I think it's, um, it's about being a good storyteller and having, having a point of view and having an approach that um, can get you in front of people. And I, and I, and that's, that's the hard bit. That's the bit that, that, you know, you've got to have something pretty unique these days, I think, to be able to walk in and say, like, I, I really want to make commercials and for it to happen quickly. I mean, like, you've got to have something pretty unique about what you do visually or, you know, maybe you've won an award or something like that, just something to make you stand out a little bit more. And I think the other thing is that you've really got to dedicate some time to it. It's not like getting into commercial, directing commercials. It's not something you can just go, oh, yeah, I'll, I'm part of a production company, but really I'm working on, you know, getting my feature up. You've really got to just go right. I'm going to be a commercial TV, uh, a commercial director, and I'm going to spend the next two years doing everything I can to try and do that, uh, which is a bit daunting, and you won't earn a lot of money in the process. But I think you've just got to, you've really got to invest the time and the and the energy into into landing a few jobs and just make each one of those uh, smaller jobs grow into a bigger one the next time. I hope that doesn't sound too negative. It doesn't sound negative to me. It, it it just sounds like a kind of realistic view, and I and I suppose there are so many. The the pool is so much larger these days of people who are trying to uh, to be directors, whether that's of television or commercials or film. Mm. Uh, so you know you you do need to. It, I guess it challenges people to really kind of. Uh, find what makes them unique and what makes their voice unique and also the kind of entrepreneurial side of it as well which I think is what you're kind of alluding to about really putting your life into it and and um, being very focused with with what you want to do yeah I I think the other thing about commercials you know the one the one thing that commercials do bring is that you can you can make an income that you can make money doing commercials but the moment your your um, drive to do commercials is about making money, it'll fall in your you'll fall on your face straight away because I think you know like because you'll start generally with smaller budgets, and I guess this is with everything whether you're doing a music video or a short film or anything like that. Like you just, I don't even think you can think about making money for a little while. Every single cent of the budget should be about making what's on screen better. So everything, you know, everything you're making, make it the best you can. And if you can pay rent and, if, you know, if you can pay the bills, that's the bonus because, the, you know, the, the next job you get will be based on what your last job was and what you can present as, the, as, as your last job. So the better it is, the more chance it is you'll have at getting another job which will hopefully have a slightly bigger budget. So it's really about working, working up the ladder and I've, you know, I've, I know the feeling um, of doing a commercial because you think it's, you know, it's a quick way to make money. Like the, the couple of times that I've, you know, chosen to do a script or something because, like, oh, you know, I'll put some money in the bank. Like halfway through it, you'll just be like, oh, man, I, you know, you'll be dreaming of being stacking supermarket shelves because it would be you also make money and it's a lot less stressful. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> You know, you have to do it because you you're getting something either you know creatively satisfying out of it, or um or you you know you're just learning. Like you you've got to be, you have to maintain a, a deep passion for what you're doing. Otherwise, it'll grind you down pretty quickly. Yeah, the the filmmaking process on any level, I think, is not uh is is an endurance event. Um, so if you don't have yeah. a, if you don't have a a good enough why. Um, i.e. money is not going to give you that satisfaction no no as i said there's yeah probably stacking supermarket shelves will will give you a lot more satisfaction if you're chasing money (laughs) and a lot more uh, a lot more freedom to to do what you want to be doing yeah yeah what when you kind of uh you know after you've done commercials for 
a number of years, you uh, made the aforementioned feature, Last Ride, and yeah. started to step into the world of, uh, of of television and television directing. Yeah. What was the what was that process like of of again kind of stepping into a new realm, a new mode of of storytelling and filmmaking? Well, I mean, I, I guess you know what once you start once you start making shorts and and you, you realize that well, most people's dream, and it's definitely my dream to make a feature film. And so to have the opportunity to do it was like the greatest privilege. Like it was just this magical time where, you know, you realize there's a lot of people put their trust and, and finances in, in your skills and in your passion for what you're doing. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess the thing about when I first made, like when I did a feature, which was definitely the biggest thing that I'd done at that point with Last Ride, it, it's, you realize that the, the, the idea of being a filmmaker at that point is – I think you mentioned before, like it is this marathon, like you've got to maintain this, this level of intensity, uh, not just for, you know, a month or two, but it becomes like a year or a year and a half. And I guess, you know, like you're obsessive about it and, and, you know, you're passionate and and you'll go to the, you know, the end of the earth to try and make the film as good as you can. Um, but yeah, the, the thing, the thing I remember, like when I think about projects now, I, uh, particularly like whether it be, you know, TV work that I've done or, or definitely last ride is that thing that the lingering thing is just how tiring they are. Like they, they weigh you down, but at the same time, you're, it's, you're, you're kind of the luckiest person in the world. You're doing what you want to do and you've got this great, hopefully a great team around you. And with last ride, you know, we're in the middle of these incredible locations and I had Hugo weaving and Tom Russell uh, and, and a story that I was really, you know, in love with. And you just, I don't know, like you're just like a, for want of a better term, like you're like a pig in shit. Like it's just, <laughs> it's the most beautiful experience. Uh, but yeah, by the end of it, it's just, you know, you're kind of mad with, uh, with weariness or something. Yeah. That, that's the thing. I, I, it goes from being short burst to the, the, the marathon. And, and hopefully you put all of your, all of the rehearsal, everything you've tried, you know, tried to do in the in, in in commercials and shorts and making music videos, that somehow it helps you make the best feature. And then from from TV after that, like I, uh, you know, I was kind of lucky enough to come into television. Uh, you know that I guess it's been, you know, kind of thrown around. It's like the golden age of television now. And I felt, I, I guess, I feel very strongly about that. Like I. I I really love TV and, and generally it's what people are watching now. Like, you know, like there's definitely things that you go to the cinema for, but definitely the drama, the sort of storytelling that I'm interested in, in, in working with used to be, you know, independent cinema and art house cinema, or, you know, the sort of the relationship dramas that like they're not on screen anymore. They're, they've, they've gone to television. So I'm really, I really love that idea of telling stories, you know, not over, 90 minutes but you know you're telling the story of you know like even even with like the things I've worked on like puberty blues you're telling the story of Debbie and Sue over you know what was 17 hours of storytelling or Gallipoli you know we, we told a story over uh, over seven hours or the beautiful eye over six hours they're kind of they're much they're these different arcs and I I, I really love it I just think it's a, a really fascinating way of telling stories and they have an audience that's built into them, whether, you know, someone watches it live on TV or binges it later on or buys a DVD box set. I think it's for our viewing habits. I feel like TV is sort of the perfect uh, storytelling medium at the moment. How did you transition? Uh, I know that uh, certainly as, as a director, it can be very challenging and there are a lot of ceilings that you need to break through in Australia to kind of move amongst uh, all of these different mediums how did you uh, step up I suppose into that world of television directing and not it's not like you're not necessarily making serial television it's not like you've yeah. kind of gone to neighbors and then or home and away and gone down that kind of route you've really stepped into some really amazing as you say points of the golden generation of, of television um, so how did you kind of make that transition 
I've got to say, uh, I've, I've had a few moments in my career that, <laughs> like, even when I joined Exit Films, I, I, like, I was offered a position in, in one of Australia's best production companies. And I remember going home and talking to my wife about just going, oh, I don't know if it's the right thing to do. And, like, it's just, it just feel like a job and I want to be this and not that, you know. <laughs> You're kind of just torturing yourself over these things that in hindsight you're going – that was the best decision you ever made going to exit films. Like just, just say, yes, it's going to be fine. I had a similar experience when I first did television. I was, I, I, so I'd, I'd never done TV and really hadn't even really considered it. I'd done, uh, I'd finished last ride and the producer, John Edwards, uh, had seen it or Imogen Banks had seen it. One of the two. And through a mutual friend, um, I heard that they said, oh, they really want to have a chat to you about this show Offspring that they're making. And I said, oh, okay, I'll go meet them. I, I don't know anything about Offspring. I'll, I'll go have a chat. And, and this was, you know, they were, I think they'd only just started filming and they, I, I don't know whether a director had fallen out, but they needed someone to shoot episodes five and six or something like that. And I had an interview with them. And they were describing to me what Offspring was about. And, and I remember saying to them, like, oh, like, I think what you're describing sounds like a romantic comedy, but I don't know whether you've seen Last Ride, but it's not a romantic comedy. In fact, it's a pretty <laughs> dark drama. And, um, and you know, it's a, it, I got a piece of advice from them that it's just it's rung in my ears ever since. Uh, and they said, look, you know, like, we're not, we don't want you to turn – offspring into a dark drama but if you know if it if it's funny if the script is funny have fun with it like you, you can really enjoy yourself on a, on a on a set like this in a way that you haven't before but then again if you see that there's drama in in the script go for it like you know that's why we want you we want you as a, as a filmmaker not necessarily as a person who just does capital d drama and so i left that meeting you know it was kind of like you know, again, I rang my agent. I was like, oh, I don't know if it's the right thing to do. <laughs> like, what am I doing? And, and um, my agent said, look, it's John Edwards. He, he's one of Australia's great producers. Just do it. If you don't like it, it's fine. You know, but, but you know, it could, be, it could be something you really enjoy. So I said yes, and, and really that was my, my way in. I, I walked on set. Um, I didn't, re you know, I had, I'd never shot that fast. It was incredibly fast shooting. It's very different from, say, commercials and then features and, and stuff like that. It was a very different um, pace, incredibly different. But I kind of very quickly got into the idea of having limitations and, okay, so you don't have all the time in the world, but you've got a great crew and you've got great cast. And you've got a cool script and let's just have fun. And I, I, I came out of that offspring experience really charged like really kind of feeling like i've i'd i'd you know taken i got i got i had an experience and it wasn't sort of exactly what i wanted to do but there was something about that that just went tv is something i could do or this it's something else i could you know add to my my bow or whatever that term is and then when they went into the second series of offspring imogen rang me the producer and, and she said oh you know do you want to come back and do another block and I kind of, you know, it was, I thought this was going to be one of those career suicide things, but I just went, oh, not really. Like I, I had a great time, but I've, I, I was sort of interested in doing something else at the time. But I also realized that I, I, I didn't want to become one of the, like a, 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 an episodic director that just would be like a gun for hire and, you know, get called up just to do blocks of television. But, and, but also I realised that, you know, like I'd had a great time and they were very generous the first time in giving me a, a chance but and, and saying no was probably a huge mistake. But but soon after that, John Edwards rang me and said, look, I, I, you know, I know you don't want to do Offspring, we understand that, but I've got this other thing that's hanging around, uh, like a telemovie called Beaconsfield. Uh, would you be interested in that? And I just jumped at that because I quite liked the story and I quite liked the idea of doing – a, a like even though it was a telly movie but doing a, a film again and I kind of I don't know it was one of those experiences where and, and you could you know in a career sometimes it's what you say no to is just as important as what you say yes to because you, you sort of when you say no to a project you create space for something else to happen so Beaconsfield came off the back of of saying no to more offspring 
Beaconsfield was great. I had a, like, that was a pretty intense shoot. I, I found myself in mines and, you know, just, just crazy situations and meeting, you know, more amazing people. And I remember, remember being in the edit suite of um, Beaconsfield. It was a really hard shoot and a very hard script to try and get right. And I, I, it was one of those bleak moments in an edit suite. It was just, I think I just watched the assembly and I was just going, oh, man, this is like the worst thing. And I would never get another job working in television or feature films. And I've been away from commercials for so long, I'm never going to make a, t- a commercial again. And I, you know, I was thinking about the supermarket shelves. Maybe that's the thing to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> John Edwards rang me and he said, oh, how's it going? And I said, oh, man, I don't know, John. I don't know if it's going to be good or not. I just don't know. And he's like, oh, no, I've seen the rushes. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And then he said, look, I just want to just, – just interested in something. Like uh, we've, just, we've just got the rights to Puberty Blues. Is that something you'd be interested in? And, and I, from this moment where I was feeling so – I don't know, like just like this is the end of my career. I, I had this moment of like I've got nothing to lose at this point. And like I do, I did love Puberty Blues. It's one of my favorite books and I just love that time. And I said to John, yes, yes, I'm interested. In fact, I want to do it. I want to I make that show mine. Like can I set it up? <laughs> I think it threw him a bit. He said, oh, oh yeah, like I hadn't really thought about it that far, but I was just, just seeing if you're interested and – um let me have a think about it. Anyway, he rang back the next day and he said, yes, like if you want to, yeah, if you want to come on and set the show up and, you know, make it yours, then we'd love to have you. And, and that was sort of, I guess that was really the point where I, I was able to sort of sink my teeth into a, a television project and, and, you know, like into something that I, I felt could be more than just another, more than just another TV drama. Like there was the, all the ingredients were things that I was really into. Like I loved the book. I loved the 70s. There was something kind of dark about the tone that we were talking about. And I just felt like it was it was the best thing for me to do. And and that that's kind of been the, you know, from that point I've been able to choose, pick and choose what I do from that point on. What is the what is the difference, I suppose, between being a, a, a director who, say, brought on to something like Beaconsfield and actually being given the opportunity to, you know, set a show up? Well, I mean, that's that's kind of what I've what I'm most interested in now. Like, that's is doing stuff where where you, I mean, I guess that's where you feel that like you can be a filmmaker the most. Like, you get to create something from the ground up. You know, you get given a script, and no one knows what it looks like yet. Nobody knows who the cast is. Nobody knows the tone of it. You know, like there's there's hints in the script, but particularly with television, it's you know, it's it can be it can be a bit generic the way it's written. So you really get a chance to sink, you know, just, just to sink your teeth into it and go like, or put your fingerprints on something and go like, what can this be? There's generally the expectations of TV are, are kind of, what's that thing? You know, they call it a medium because it's always kind of, it's always kind of just okay. You know, it's medium. <laughs> but I, I've always, you know, taken every opportunity to like, how amazing can this be? Like what lengths can we go to, to make this even better than what people are expecting? Like Beaconsfield could have been just, you know, like another another Aussie, you know, true story. But it's, I don't know, like I was really pleased with the way that it came out. It was much more, feel, felt like it sort of, it, it sort of crossed over into another kind of, I don't know, like it was kind of spiritual or something in the end. I like had a different tone to, it had a tone that I wanted. It was about, I realised that, you know, we're, we're quite interested as people of, in, in, in talking to people who have almost died, like who have been close to death. And this really felt like an opportunity to not only explore that as an idea, like what's it like to, to be so close to death, but then be to be to be buried alive, if you like, to be in a, in a tomb and then to be drawn out of that and, and to be reborn. But then there was something also about, for me, about mining and what we do is a population to the earth, like what we take out of it. And, and I, I've, you know, I'll probably get a bit hippie here and it's kind of the way I think about things, but there was something about Beaconsfield mine in going into it that when I went into it, all I wanted to do was get out of it. Like there was, there was a bad energy in that place. Whereas other mines I went into and other places, you know, I kind of really liked it. It was sort of, they're almost inviting. So Beaconsfield was about trying to create a, a tone of, 
I don't know, an, an uneasiness of, of nature. And, and I guess it's those sort of ideas that I'm, that I've tried to build into a lot of the other TV projects. They're not just, let's just tell a good story. There's a tone and a, and an atmosphere to the stories that feel like that they, you know, they, they're quite confronting, I guess is, you know, ultimately I think audiences do find them confronting and, you have to engage with the with the material. It's not just TV that can kind of just wash over you like a lot of stuff. Like it's not it's not there just for you to sit in on a couch and let it, and you know let the pictures dance in front of you. Like you actually have to physically engage in the material. And I think that's 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 what attracts me to television. You've got a you've got an audience. People do watch it. So what you know what can you do in that space that makes it different to everything else? Like how, how I guess to me it's like it's the new cinema. Like it's it's just should be there's no difference in how i approach television and how i'd approach film you just don't have as much time or money to do it i feel like i'm raving like <laughs> soapbox or something. <laughs> that's great i love it it's 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 inspiring as a as a filmmaker to hear you know to hear this kind of these kind of stories and this kind of um uh experience that that you've had and that you're continuing to have, you know, that's that's kind of the dream in a way, isn't it? As 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 a filmmaker, to be given that kind of uh, uh, carte blanche, I suppose, to set something up, to create a world, to create a vision, and then to be able to execute it, uh, and you know, having the challenges and and the hurdles, uh, and you know, as you say, having all the lessons. Filmmaking, uh, a lot of filmmaking is about problem solving. But yep. to be kind of yeah, to be given that uh, that license is, it's really inspiring to see and to speak with someone who has arrived at that point in their career. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, it, it's um, you know, it's it's a it's I do see it as as a really privileged position to be in. I've never taken anything for granted uh, in in you know whether I'm doing commercial or. A, a, you know, a TV project. They're all they're all opportunities to make beautiful things um, and to work with cool people and you know to create and and hopefully to affect an audience. Like actually, um, uh, I don't know. Like I, I remember, you know, to go back to documentary. I went and saw um, Albert Maisels, who's one of the you know the grandfathers of of observational filmmaking, speak once and uh he's he's no longer with us but he he said um at the beginning of this master class he said you know there's two definitions to the word entertainment one is to distract uh one is to engage and he said like 90 percent of entertainment is about distraction it's about just don't worry about who you are or what you're doing or your life or or your culture or society, just be distracted by this, you know, the colour and movement of what we're showing you. Um, but he, he sort of challenged that room at the time to, to do, you know, when you make entertainment, which is what we do, uh, to, to, to try and make it engage. And, and Peter Tammer, this, the guru uh, lecturer from film school, he also said he encouraged us to, uh, in, in a similar way, he said, you know, our job as documentarians is not to deflect but reflect, like to hold the mirror up to the audience. So when, when they watch what you're making, they see themselves, uh, you know, reflected in the screen. And, and that is a really confronting thing for people. Like that's not what generally what television is, but that's how I see television. Like that's, that's, the, or that's how I see entertainment full stop. Um, and it's a bit of a... I don't know. I feel like I do feel like I, I I rally the troops with you know, and and it's like a call to arms that that's that's what we're here to do, um, because ultimately we become better people, uh, hopefully by by experiencing and seeing ourselves on screen rather than just being distracted by bullshit. So I know it's not it's not a popular way to go. Like the stuff that I do, I don't think will ever be massively uh populist although beaconsfield i think was like the second most watched thing on television when it went that year that it screened and other things have rated well but but i think there's always something quite uh i don't know like quite confronting in in 
how I make things that, that when people get it, they really get it. But I know it's not for everyone. Do you feel like your career to this point uh, has, has been a success? How do you kind of define that, that term? Is it something that is, is ever evolving or is it something that is uh, where, where you have kind of markers of what you want to achieve? Yeah, what's, there's a term that I've heard. Of, it's, I can never get it right. Is it the Laconian lack or something like that? I don't know. But there's that thing of you, you never realize where you are because of, of like you never realize the goals you reach because of the steps that you take to get to that point. So you're never happy where you are because like if you said, look, I really want to make a feature film, the moment you make a feature film, you've got your eye on the next feature film or – or the next, you know, the next project. And when you do that, all you want to think about is the next one that's bigger and bigger. So I'm a little bit like that. Like I, I try not to, I try not to rest too much when I've completed something because I always want to do the next thing. But I also, you know, it is important that you, you know, you realize what, why is it what you're doing, what you're doing? Like, what is the reason? And, and part of the reason I, I, like I can always tick a box at the end of a project that I've, gotten something out of it that I wanted to achieve whether it be work with a certain actor or or try a certain uh approach to uh you know to the to the production like the way of filming or or something like that like I always get something out of it I can say that I've achieved that but yeah I don't know success what's the what's the what's the definition of I don't know I've been able to make a living out of it like I've got uh you know a, a house and and kids and I've never had to do anything other than be a film director, if that makes sense. So I guess that's successful. But yeah, I guess I guess I've never. I go back to that money thing. I've never really thought about money and what I do. Like I do have a mortgage and you know, like that sort of stuff. So you do think about money, obviously. But I've never chosen work. I've never. I've never seen the the money part as being a success. It just is the the. The, the little extra bit at the end where you go, oh, right, right, I got to do that and I get paid? That's awesome. Like, that's so great. <laughs> I forgot about that part. You know, that's that's actually the, the test of whether whether or not I'm doing what I want to do. Like, if I start thinking about the money, I go, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, I don't know, the success thing. I don't know. It, it freaks me out a bit too much. I don't think anyone's ever ever happy. Otherwise, you'd just stop and stop doing things. Mm. And I guess, you know, like we kind of started the conversation talking about, it's that one foot in front of the other uh, and constantly evolving uh, against the idea of stuff being perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or I guess it's always trying to achieve perfection. Like, and, and as long as you're getting closer to it, I, I've, I, I feel like every project I've done, I've been able to get a little bit closer to what I what I aspire to and what I can do as a filmmaker and I I you know I never the you've always got to work a bit harder if that makes sense it never gets easier uh, so yeah I don't know I'm, I guess I'm, I I get ex- I get just as excited now as what I used to so I don't know maybe that is success the fact that you can you can still do it no one's saying I can't do it that that would be not successful I guess so. Yes, I feel feel like I'm having some success. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I'm on the couch now. <laughs> well, maybe we should uh, should get off up off the couch. Um, I, I really uh, really appreciate your time, Glendon. It's been uh, it's been really wonderful to to speak with you on your Sunday night and my Sunday morning. No problem. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I uh, I finish every conversation with one question, and my one question that I finish every conversation with, which should definitely get you up off the couch, is uh, is what makes you silly. What makes me silly? Um, I've got a. I've, I'm really lucky that I've got two great kids, uh, and I've got a. Uh, I've got a ten year old daughter, Rosebud, who. Is, seems to have made a 10-year career herself out of being silly. And and I, I feel like she somehow mirrors my own approach to life and what I sometimes forget about, and that's to just to be in the moment and to be playful and to be just to be stupid sometimes. And she's, yeah, she makes me silly. Silly, definitely. 
<laughs> what What are some of the silly things that you do together? Um, <laughs> I got to think now. Well, I mean, we've we've got a we've got a we I don't know. We do a lot of things at the moment. We do a lot of like UFC style fighting that uh, that um, she's she gets quite aggressive and strong with. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty silly doing UFC fighting with a 10 year old daughter um, uh, and yeah I mean we share we share a sense of humor and um, like yesterday we watched uh, uh, the Jack Black film School of Rock uh, which is a pretty silly film and almost like it's almost a perfect film one of the one of those perfect films you watch and think this is this is hitting every beat beautifully um, so there was a lot of uh, you know we I, I, I got YouTube out after that and showed a lot of Tenacious D and a lot of Jack Black stuff and so we're being pretty silly with that mm, Nothing like a bit of uh, tribute to thrust you into a silly mode Absolutely <laughs> Thank you so much, Glendon Alright, thanks a lot, man I really, really enjoyed the It feels like I've had a session, like at a psychiatrist or something so. <laughs>